0: First Chronicles chapter thirteen. Those of you who have been up here before, you know it's a it's a huge um, honor, but also a very humbling experience to be asked uh, to, to fill in the pulpit for pastor. So I thank you for uh, the opportunity to do so. Um, and I thank you also for those of you who've been praying for my back. It's uh, it's getting better, but it's a long road to recovery. So. Still give me some problems, and um, I guess if it gets too bad, we'll just cut the message short. So we can thank those of you who didn't pray me from the back, if that's the case. <clears throat> you know who you are. All right, so please stand. Uh, we're going to read um, a, a few verses here, mostly the whole chapter of uh, First Chronicles, uh, chapter thirteen. We'll get going here uh, in, in verse one. Uh, and David consulted with the captains of thousands. And hundreds, and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and the Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together uh, from Shihor uh, of Egypt, even unto the entering of uh, Himath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. We'll let's drop down here to verse 8. Um, and David and all Israel played before, I'm sorry, verse 7. And they carried the ark of God uh, in a new cart out of the house of Abedab. Uh, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and cymbals and with trumpets. Um, And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbleth. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, uh, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day." And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside unto the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittites. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. And a few more verses. Let's drop down to uh, to chapter 15. And we have a few verses to read there as well, starting in verse 1. And David made him houses in the city of David, and prepared a place for the ark of God, and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God, and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord unto his place which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. Drop down to verse 12. And said uh, unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel, and the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded, according to the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you for your word uh, this evening, and uh, thank you for what you're going to give us here in terms of a message, Lord, and I pray that you would speak through me to let the be the message to be uh, the glorifying to you, Lord. In uh, Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So we have uh, two stories here, and they're pretty interesting stories. They're, they're two attempts at bringing the ark of God uh, back to Jerusalem, or to Jerusalem. Uh, and the first try, as we read here in chapter 13, wasn't a successful attempt, was it? Um, and the second attempt in chapter 15, that was a successful attempt. And if we look at the two accounts, we can compare them side by side and we can see the reasons why the first one failed and the, and the second one was a success. Now part of that is because uh, David uh, learned from his mistakes um, and, and, and his first time he wasn't prepared. He hadn't sought God in this decision to bring the ark back, had he? So let's look again, if you're in chapter 13, the failed ascent, if you look for the first four verses, you know, that's where we see David consulting in verse 1 with the leaders um, of Israel, with, with, the, with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader he consulted with them. And if you jump down to verse 2, it says that David talked to the congregation of Israel, and so he talked to all the people of Israel, and he asked them their opinion on the matter. And in verse 4, the people answer him, and they say that it is right uh, in our own eyes. But notice who we didn't ask. David never mentions once um, to ask God, which is the most important one to ask. You know, he he mentions in verse 2 that if it be of the Lord our God, and, you know, he says that, but I think, you know, if we were to translate it into modern terms, that's like us saying, well, I've got this great plan, it's very complicated, it's everything I want to happen, and it's going to happen, uh, you know, if the Lord wills. It's just tacking that little bit on there so you can seem spiritual even though you've never thought about God in this particular plan ever once in your life. That's the same thing I think David's doing here. And so we do it. David's no different. David sees what he wants and David makes a plan to get what he wants and then David starts the plan and the process to, to get what he wants and to bring the ark back. And none of this is God's plan, is it? I mean... it's it's, it's a good idea. I'm not saying it's a bad idea to bring the ark to Jerusalem. It's it's a good idea. But without getting God's approval, if you will, of your plan, it doesn't make it a good plan. You could have the best plan in the world, but because God is so much smarter and he knows more than we do, he might have a different plan in mind. And so the best plan we have, the best idea we have, if it goes against God's plan, it's a terrible plan. Just on its nature it is. And so that's... That's the first thing I can see here why it, um, it didn't go through. The second reason why this uh, attempt failed is that, is that David disobeys God. And he disobeys God by not following written instructions from God to Israel. In, in, in verse 7 here it says that they carry the ark of God in a new cart. And, and you see that it was always God's intention for the ark never to be on a cart but to be carried by man. And Not just any man, but by Levites. Not just any Levite, mind you, but by the sons of Kohath, it says. And so we, we need to have the right person to move the ark. The only authorized way to move the ark is by carrying it. And the only authorized people to carry it are the sons of Kohath. We can look for time. I'll read it to you here in Exodus chapter 25, verse 13. The God told Israel that, and thou shalt make staves, of Shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. And so it's it's clear from the very beginning when God's giving instructions to Moses on how to build the ark that it was meant to be carried. And you can read later on in, in Numbers chapter seven. This is when Moses is is talking about uh, distributing out uh, covered wagons and oxen to the Levites. Because their job is carrying the tabernacle around. It can be heavy, it can be cumbersome. And so they're going to give oxen and, and covered wagons to them to do so. And in verse 9, um, when he's talking about it, he says this. But unto the sons of Kohath, who are the people who are going to bear, uh, carry the ark. He said, unto the sons of Kohath, he gave none. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. So it's clear God wants you to carry the ark by man on the shoulders and here we see David put it again on a cart. Well, he's disobeying God. It's no wonder that the first one didn't go through. And, and the last reason I think that the first attempt wasn't a success is that David let the obstacles that happened along the way determine how this thing ended. He didn't let God determine how it ended. You know, I don't know if it was rough roads, or if, you know, something spooked the oxen, or he he jerked on the harness, he stepped in a hole, I don't know the situation. But for whatever reason, the ark became unstable on the cart, and was going to fall off the cart, and so the guy standing next to it, um, Uzzah, he did, you know, a natural thing, you'd think, and he put his hand up there to, to steady the ark so it wouldn't fall, and God was mad about that. Because it says very specifically in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. Yeah. So they're disobeying God and letting an obstacle come in the way. So God killed him right then and there. And I'm going to go ahead and say, and this might sound a little weird, praise the Lord that he did. Because even though it's unfortunate for Uzzah, and it's a very unpleasant situation to think about what God is doing here is following through with his word. And if he can follow through with his word when the time is unpleasant, he can follow through with his word when the times are pleasant. Like when it comes to promising us salvation and a mansion in heaven, those are pleasant times. If he can follow through with that, he can follow through with that. So, not part of my message today, but hey, parents, that's a good lesson to learn. Follow through with your word. Um, So, David, he let this incident uh, get in the way of his plan. He let derail the entire thing. Uh, He stops trying to bring the ark to Jerusalem. He he veers off to the side, and he drops the, the ark at a nearby house, and he goes back home, and he licks his wounds for like three months because his plan didn't go properly, and that was a wasted time. David already mentioned that they had not sought God using the ark for the entire reign of Saul. Well, that was 32 years Saul reigned. And so for 32 years, they haven't used the ark properly, and now they've got to wait three more months. And, and that was, that's just a pure waste of time. So the first attempt, which was the failed attempt, it was for these obvious reasons that attempt failed. So what does David do in chapter 15? Well, he changes those things, doesn't he? He makes those three specific changes, and now we have a successful mission. Um, He learned from his mistakes. So, first off, he sought God's will. And that's evident, if we're in chapter 15 now, in verse 13 of chapter 15. Because it says, for that we sought him not. David admits that they didn't seek God the first time. Um, And so, you can know, you know what else happened? Between verses, chapter 13 and chapter 15? Chapter 14 happened, right? It's, it's numerical, it has to. And I'm not going to read it for you for the sake of time, but chapter 14 is actually a story of two times where the Philistines came against Israel, they arrayed their forces for battle, they attacked Israel, and David had to defend himself. And what did David do? Did he rush off with his army and attack the Philistines? No. When the, when the Philistines came and attacked Israel, the first thing David did was he prayed to God. And he sought God's help in the situation. And the first time, God said, yeah, go attack them. They're yours. And so he did, and there was victory for Israel. And, and sometime in that three months, the Philistines did it again. The exact same thing. And so what did David do? Did he think to himself, hey, I've already prayed to God. I have the mandate to go and attack the Philistines. I can do it again. No. He stopped, and he prayed to God. And this time, the answer was different. This time, God said, oh, don't do that. Go around, go through the trees, wait for my signal, and the victory will be yours. And so David listened. He went around, he went through the trees, he waited for the signal, and the victory was theirs. And so David thought to himself, hey, we never sought God with this failed attempt. And in the meantime, I sought God twice, and I had success. So maybe I should change what I'm doing here with this bringing the ark to Jerusalem, and I should seek God first. Right? So he seeks God, and nowhere in verse, in chapter 15 were you, you hear of David asking about leaders and what they think, or asking the congregation what they think, because he already sought God about it. Doesn't need those guys' input, does he? So he sought God, and he obeyed God by returning the ark, and he made sure that they were carried by the Kohaths, right? He made sure that they, they sanctified themselves beforehand, even, because David wanted to be prepared. He realizes that obeying God isn't a choose this and choose that scenario. It's all or none for him. He realizes that I can't put this thing on a cart. That's against God's rules. We're going to carry it. And we're not going to have anybody care. We're going to have Levites, specifically the sons of Kohath, care it because that's what God said. And furthermore, God said that in Exodus 28 that you have to sanctify yourself before your service. So he'd made sure these guys were sanctified before they even tried carrying the ark because he realized that it's an all or nothing. He must follow every instruction of God gives him, not just some instructions God gives him. All right. And then the last one about the obstacles. There, there's no mention in chapter 15 of obstacles that they run into along the way. I assume there were. There, I mean, there had to have been. They're, they're taking the same path they took the first time. There's not all well, that many roads, I don't think. And, and, you know, uh, surely an ark on a cart is more stable than four guys carrying an ark through the same treacherous roads with, with ro- you know, with stones and, and pebbles he could trip on or, or, or fall off or cut behind or get a cramp, whatever the situation is, or have a bad back. That happens. But it doesn't mention it because if there were any, David didn't let them get in the way. He still finished through, you know, with what God wanted him to do Regardless of the obstacles. So this is a very, I think it's, it's two interesting accounts that take place here. I think there's a lot of application here. And so my first point for application is that you need to start with God. You've got to seek God. The, this whole account started when, when David had a good idea. He had a good idea. Bring the ark to Jerusalem. Verse 3 in chapter 13 says, And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. So he has a good idea. And there's a realization that there's a problem in David's life that he has to fix. And I think his beginning and our beginning are very much the same. Because there's times in your life when you have a realization that there's a problem in your life you need to fix. And so the first thing you need to do is what David did successfully is seek God for that problem. Uh, Whatever happened uh, to David is going to happen to to all of us at all times. We're going to come to the altar realizing there's a problem that needs to be fixed. And by the way, if God is touching your heart, the altar is a good place to be. And the first thing we should do is seek God on how to fix it. You know, we think that the solution is, is solely ours to undertake. You know, that, that it's my problem and I'll have to fix it. That's our thought sometimes. But, and, and, and that's a, it's a good one to have. Don't, don't be the victim by any means. Don't think to yourself, well, woe is me. I, I'm here and I'm, I'm stuck here. Like, have the positive attitude to, to, to get it fixed. But, but look, if, if God is working in your heart to identify a problem in your life, uh, then he's not going to stop there. He's going to keep working through the, fixing the problem. He's going to be with you side by side, rolling up his sleeves, getting the work done with you because he wants that problem changed. He's not going to tell you about the problem and then let go. And it's clear in verse fifteen. We, in chapter fifteen, we didn't read this, but in in, in verse twenty six, uh, it says that and it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenants of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. You see, God didn't just help them identify that there was a problem in their life, that the ark needed to be moved. He helped them move it as well. And so as you go through your life and the Holy Spirit taps you in your heart and, you know, from time to time regarding things you've got to change, you know, come to the altar and, and, and talk to God and realize that it's not just you. That when you go back from the altar and God gives you direction, you're not going back to your seat alone. You're not going back to your house alone or to your job alone. God's with you when you go. And he's going to help you. We need to learn to let him, to help, to let him help us. All too often we try to do ourselves. The, the problem that David faced, it wasn't a complicated problem. The, the ark was, was, uh, was pretty close. It was only about 10 miles away from Jerusalem when they started this process. There are roads in place. They've gone to this city before. It is so easy to them to say, well, I'm just going to walk 10 miles, which is nothing for them, maybe a little bit more for us. We're going to walk 10 miles, we're going to grab the ark, and we're going to bring it back to us. That's a really easy mission to do. Why even get God involved? And so do you realize, though, the differences when they got God involved and when they didn't get God involved? If you're here at the altar praying to God because there's something in your life you need changed, you might think to yourself, this is an easy fix. I can see clearly what to do. You've you've told me, God, I know exactly how to fix it. You still need to seek God for it. Still get him involved. Whether you whether your problem is easy or whether it's difficult, seeking God is that first step. You know, maybe you're trying to improve your Bible reading or your prayer life or or you're trying to heal a relationship between you and a loved one, or a fellow Christian, or maybe it's a, you know, trying to heal a relationship between you and God. Whatever the case is, uh, you know, we're going to face sin in our lives. We need to overcome that sin. We're going to want to take matters into our own hands. But that's going to have disastrous outcomes. We need to let God have that. God is way better than we are. He knows way more than we do. And if I can take a closer look here for a second at this story, what's really happening. It might be a little uncomfortable to look at, but what's really happening here, the problem that David has and all the Israelites had is a very similar problem that we have. There, when If you boil it down, the problem isn't, or is that, that the Israelites aren't using God's gift like God wanted them to use it. God gave them an ark to use, and they're not using it. That's the problem. And so I think that a lot of times we have the very same problem. And much like the misplaced ark and it was neglected, your spiritual gifts, they might be held up in a place, that isn't very far from where God wants them to be, but they're just far enough where you're not using them the way God wants you to use them. Maybe you're neglecting them from a period of time, just like they were neglecting the ark for 32 years. Maybe you've forgotten about it because it's out of sight and therefore it's out of mind. Don't focus on the things that uh, that you're doing, maybe focus on the things that you need to be doing. And, and using those spiritual gifts. The starting point for both David and for us is going to be very much the same. There's a problem in our lives. The, the solution is not too far off. And we need to seek God to get that solution accomplished. It's the only way to know what to do about it is to seek God. David thought he knew what he was doing. And it turns out he didn't know what he was doing. Only after he sought God did he realize he knew what he was doing. So that's the first application. The second application, after you seek God, you're ready to do the next step, and that's to obey God. You know, this is a clear example in chapter 13 that the end does not justify the means. You know, it might be difficult to see that idea in your own life, so let me give you a broader example and then we'll narrow it down. And there's plenty of examples, I'm not going to name them, but there's plenty of examples of churches out there who... Who have a problem, and the problem is they, they need to increase attendance. And so, how do they increase attendance? Well, they do that by watering down the gospel and focusing on the entertainment value and not the real content of what the Bible has to offer. That's what people try and do. And and it, they dilute the gospel to a degree where it, it is hard to even realize it's the gospel anymore. And maybe it works. It works as good as putting the ark on a cart and moving it to Jerusalem, doesn't it? They got the ark closer, didn't they? It was a lot closer than when it started. They have more people in the seats now at these churches than they did when they started. But there are fewer people in those churches understanding the gospel because they've watered it down to a point where it's unrecognizable. Alright, that's that's the big picture, but let's focus that now on yourselves. In our own lives. You know, one way that we can do this, we realize there's a sin and we want, to tra- we want to stop sinning. That's the seeking God part. But how do we do this the incorrect way? Well, we do this through, I think a lot of times, rationalizing, Rationalizing away our sins. You see, David rationalized that it would be easier to move the ark on a cart that was pulled by oxen. You know, even though God told Israel the only way to move it is to carry it. You know, the ark represents... God's holiness, and there's no shortcuts to getting close to God's holiness, mind you. There's no compromises. We can't expect to get closer to God uh, and His holiness if we're not going to rationalize away our sins, because when you rationalize your sin, you don't get rid of it. Right? David might have rationalized that using the wagon uh, to move the ark is better because that's what the Philistines did. When the Philistines had the ark, they, they, they moved it with a cart, at least once, doesn't say how many times, he did, but at least, at least once they moved the, uh, the ark with a cart, and nothing bad happened to them. God didn't punish them. And so David thought to himself, well, maybe we could do the same thing. But the difference between the Philistines and the Israelites are that God gave the instructions to the Israelites, not to the Philistines. The, the Israelites, as it turns out, are living under a different standard than the Philistines because they're God's children. When God touches our hearts about a sin in your life you know, or an issue that you're dealing with, it can be very easy and very tempting to rationalize it away. All right? and, you, know, you can point to others who might be doing the same exact thing you're doing. Um, you can point to uh, the world that might accept what you're doing or even celebrate what you're doing. But I don't need to go back very far, maybe five years, to, to flood your, your mind with examples of reasons why the world will accept and celebrate things that are very contrary to the bible don't make that mistake don't try and live under the same rules that the world lives under because you don't live under those standards all right so teens here you are when when you're walking around school or you're walking around the mall do you walk around the mall is that a thing still it's amazon now isn't it all right i should probably talk to the adults now about the mall how about, if you're on Facebook, are you on Facebook, that's an adult thing too. Okay, look, everyone just listen for right now, okay? <laughs> if you're at work or at school, or at the mall, randomly for some reason, uh, or, you're, or you're on Facebook or, or, or TikTok or Twitter or whatever other, Instagram, I don't know all the online sites, I don't like any of those. If you're on the, on the line, let's call it that, and you see something, you probably you shouldn't be seeing it and that's probably wrong. You're going to see a lot of bad things out there. All right? Don't do them. That's my advice to you. Don't do those bad things you see online or what your friends do or your coworkers do. Just don't do them. They're contrary to the Bible. If, if you find yourself doing those things, and the only way you can defend yourself doing those things is by pointing to those bad examples in the world, you shouldn't be doing those things. Because they are sin. All right? All right? The Bible says it's evil, so don't do it. Whatever you're doing, if you can't point to the Bible for its defense, then you shouldn't be doing it. That's just rationalizing in a way. All you're trying to do there is continue in that sin by rationalizing it. What does Romans 6, 1 say? It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Never is there a clear statement in the Bible that says that if you were a saved, born-again believer, you were living under a different standard than the world. Yeah, so, I was going to say teens, but I guess everybody now, right? Don't allow yourself to rationalize your sin because you see it on TV or you see it in the movies or on YouTube or at your job or, or your friends are doing it. it. It's very popular in today's culture, in today's society, to, to live your own truth. Right? You live your truth, they say. Well, what does that really mean? I mean, the basic premise of that is that you can redefine what you're doing so it's no longer a sin. And that enables you, through rationalization, to keep doing the same thing you're doing, but now, magically, you're not, sin- you're not sinning. That's rationalizing your sin away. And that is com- completely wrong. All right? All right. God doesn't care what people think about sin. You can't point to the online world. You can't point to a person who has a lot of subscribers or a lot of likes or, or a lot of followers. You can't point to, you know, uh, something that's been reposted or retweeted millions and millions of times as a reason for doing something because God doesn't care about that. It turns out there's no popular vote to determine what is isn't a sin. All right, it's God saying that is. There's no number of likes or, or, or posts or, or, or whatever it is. Thumbs up they do on Facebook, I guess. Maybe that's a like. No number of likes that determine what a sin is. It's up to God to say that. All right? If you want proof that this idea is true, that only God can tell you what a sin is, not the people, not popularity contests, then look no farther than this account. Because the entire congregation of Israel said, let's do this. Let's do this. This is a good idea. And you know what? It was a sin. Just ask Uzzah who died because of it. There is no reason to do that. And, and you know what else I think that placing the Ark on a cart says? Is that they weren't willing to do the hard work to correct the problem. All right? And you may think, well, what's the big deal? I mean, the main point is the Ark is brought to Jerusalem to be used, so... However, it gets there must be good. But God sees it differently. God designed the process to bring about change. All right? The the change that was required wasn't simply a matter of relocating the ark, the change that was required was the hearts of the people. For over three decades, they had not used the ark. Do you think moving the ark closer was going to make that change? It was only 10 miles away as it was. Simply relocating the ark wasn't enough to change the hearts of the people. They needed to have some work, they needed to have some sacrifice. It was a way of life to them for an entire generation to not use the ark. And it doesn't take the stamp of a finger to change that. It takes work, it takes sacrifice, which is why God designed it that way. And we're much the same. Our hearts and our minds, they're not easily changed, are they? It's not that easy. If that was the case, then every single New Year's resolution would be a success story. And we know that for most of you it's not. And for me, I don't even make them. It's it's terrible. We only change hearts and minds through struggle. Through time, through energy, through sacrifice, through hard work. Because we are stubborn, nearsighted sinners. And we need this change because we need the hardness to learn that way. The Israelites were not willing to sacrifice to get closer to God. They weren't willing to sacrifice their comfort in order to carry the ark. And we can be that way too. Unwilling to sacrifice our way of life to fix something that God lays on our hearts. Unwilling to allow our flesh to die so we can focus on the Lord. All because we want to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So, to obey God is not only to follow the instructions in the Word of God, as David did in the first part, but it also requires the sacrifice of the parts of ourselves that hinder that process. As, as we work to move our own arks from where we left them to where God wants them to be, we can't rationalize it away. It's going to require work and it's going to require sacrifice. If we try and find a shortcut, um, there is no shortcut. The path we need to follow and the way we need to follow it are both given to us by God. And he gave that information to us when we came to the altar to seek him. That's why it's the first step. The second step is to obey and actually do the things God told you to do. And the third step is to, is to trust God. So we seek God, we obey God, and now we've got to trust God. And and if you've done the first two points, you sought God and and you started now to obey God and to work on it, then you need to have trust in God that he's going to walk with you along this path. David made a lot of mistakes, sure. He, He didn't seek God, he didn't obey God, but he also didn't trust God. He failed to seek God before he started, and he failed to obey God as he worked to accomplish the task, but once the, once the obstacles hit and Uzzah ended up dying, what did David do? He didn't seek God. He didn't try and find out, well, God, what do I do now? And, and that's how subtle the devil can be. Because if you're working to improve yourself or to do something that God wants you to do, the devil is going to be active. He's going to be countering you every step of the way. And he is so subtle that David couldn't see through the obstacle of Uzzah dying to realize all he had to do was seek God and find out what God wanted him to do. They're literally carrying the very thing they need to use to seek God. They admitted as such. That's the whole point of the mission was to bring the ark to Jerusalem so they could use it to seek God. They have a problem that needed God's guidance and they don't use it. That is the devil being subtle in every sense of the word. So David allowed that one obstacle to stop them from moving forward. And oftentimes we do the same thing, don't we? We let the first issue that comes in our life stop us from the good work we started to do. We've all encountered it some way. I'm just going to off the top of my head now pull an example that relates to Nobody. Probably, it's everybody actually. We all had the same problem, okay? And here's the situation. It's Monday morning, which is a new week. And it happens also to be, for whatever reason, a new month. What a perfect time to start a new diet, right? To really get going on that, on that, on that uh, you know, resolution, to, to lose weight, to get in shape, to turn your life around. I'm going to do it because it's a Monday and it's a new week and it's a new month. No better time. And so Monday goes, and hey, you did a good job. And Tuesday even rolls around. Hey, knocked out of the park. Still got it. Still following right along. And then Wednesday starts, and you're like, ah, this is still going. It's, a little, it's getting there, but I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And then you come to church, and somebody's like, hey, you want a pack of Oreos? What are you supposed to do? You got to wait till the next Monday happens with the new month, because that's, the next, that's all you can do next. I was completely shot. So was the bag of Oreos in that same sitting. We all have the same problem. That, that we're trying to do this and, uh, and we let the first uh, you know, bump in the road challenge us and change us. Let me tell you, issues are going to come up. And, and while you're doing the right thing and you're walking the right path, the devil's going to be active. He's going to put obstacles in your way. And you say, well, they're going, be, they're going to be small obstacles. Well, to you, they're going to be big obstacles. The, the, the Israelites only had to go ten miles from where the ark was to bring it to Jerusalem. It doesn't seem like very far to, way to go for the Israelites, but it was far enough for them to lose sight of what they were doing. It was far enough so they lose sight of the purpose, and so that one little obstacle became this giant boulder, and they weren't able to see God. That's how subtle He can be. We're on our own journey sometimes. And, and, and where you are and where God would have you go, the journey to heal or whatever it is you came to, to change in your life, whatever you're doing, you're on that journey. Don't forget that as you go down that journey, that you're not alone. That help is right there with you. You don't have the ark with you. You're not carrying the ark, but you're carrying something better. Because in your heart resides the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. And at any time in that path, you can stop and you can ask the Holy Spirit for guidance and for help. And he will give it to you. So we, we have that. We can, we can use the fact that at any time we can get help and direction from God. We can seek God's will. We can obey his word. And he'll be faithful to provide whatever help you need along the way. Because he wants you to get this thing done too. You're not on your own here. God's on your corner. And the, the, the obstacles you have, they might seem like boulders that are in the way. But to God, they're just pebbles. They're just small pieces of dirt. And, and a few boulders either way might force you to, uh, onto a different path that might even force you to turn around. But a few pebbles along your path, you don't even notice those, do you? You can walk those 10 miles on pebbles the entire way and not notice a darn thing. That's what the trust of God will do for you. If you trust that God's there for you and willing to help you along with your journey, those boulders are just small little sands of dirt. And so we're going to find ourselves in a similar situation as the one David found themselves in. We're going to realize that one day, for whatever reason, that we need to make a change in our life. You know, we need to move a gift of God that God gave us to where he, you know, we put it, to where he wants it to be. We need to use that every day. We need to seek God. It's a process similar to David's, but it's an easy process to follow. Seek God, obey God, and trust in God. And I'm not saying that it's going to end in a fairy tale way. God never promises that. Even in this account, uh, David had to, you know, it ended for him not as good as I think he wanted to because his own wife, when she saw him enter Jerusalem, was ashamed of him and angered of him. And she was mad at him because the way he came into Jerusalem and the way he put God above his own person and his own status as king made her heart, it says, despise him. When they first met, they were lovebirds. And this one thing, bringing the ark back, made his wife despise him. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy all the time or that it's going to to flow like a fairy tale. It, It might not. But again, we're not doing this for what people think. We're doing this for what God thinks. Because God is the one who says what's right or wrong, not people. If we're willing to seek God's desire for our lives whatever it is, and if we love God enough to have enough faith in God to obey how he says to go about fixing it and relying on him as we do so, he's going to bless us. It says in Psalms uh, nine ten, it says, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. So seek God, obey God, and trust God. And whatever the reason you came to the altar for, God's going to help you along the way to make that a successful journey. Let's all stand. Your eyes closed and and your heads bowed. And and we're going to have some music play. And we're going to have a verse of invitation. And I'm not trying to manufacture a response here. I'm just trying to say that if God touches your hearts, the first thing you need to do is seek God about it. And he'll give you guidance. And maybe he'll say it's nothing. But maybe he'll say it's something. And if you seek God about it and you obey what God says and you have faith that God is not going to leave you alone in the process then whatever it is God is telling you will be fixed and you'll be a happier life because you're living in God's desire for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father Lord we